thank you that you are leading us on a journey. And that as we go, Lord, you are our strength, that you are our shield. You're the glory and the lifter of our heads. Father, this morning we invite you to come and be with us. Lord Jesus, move among us and teach us your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and feel free to, to move and lead us. Thank you now, Lord, for your presence. Thank you for your word. And we ask now that you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a shepherd who will be the shepherd will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. How many of you know that the kingdom of God is like a chair? I have this picture in my mind of this very unusual chair that describes how the kingdom of God works in our lives. When you're depressed, when you're really hurting, when you're in a lot of pain, the kingdom of God is like this incredibly soft, easy chair that God invites you to come and sit down in and rest. And it's got this big, thick, down pillow, and you sink in. And even if you wanted to get up out of this chair, it would be really tough because the sides of it just kind of enclose you and hold you in. And you feel so comfortable and so safe and so secure. But this is an unusual chair because what happens to this chair over time is it begins to change its form. And after a while, this chair begins to change from a feather seat to one of those very hard, uncomfortable wooden seats. 
and the back of the chair that was so comfortable and soft changes into one of these ladder back chairs where the, the wood strikes you right in the back where it hurts. And you just can't even stand sitting in this chair anymore. You just have to get up and move around. I think this chair illustrates the contrast between what Joel talked about last week in getting away and pulling back and finding rest. He was talking about that big, easy chair. But today we're talking about taking the long journey. And we're talking about the hard chair. The chair that you need to get up out of and get moving. And both of those are different pictures of the same kingdom and of the same God that we have. Because we indeed have a God who comforts the afflicted and who afflicts the comfortable. We went to a movie last night, and uh, that may not sound like a big deal to some of you, but for us that's a big deal, because we probably go to the movies once a year. And uh, I am not a big movie buff, but I have noticed something about the movies over the years, and you probably have too. Movies have changed. It used to be that movies were happy. They were uplifting. You used to go to movies to, to forget about the problems that you had. And today you go to movies and they're frightening. And they're, they're maybe too realistic about life. They're depressing sometimes. Now, I'm going to ask you to indulge me for a moment. I'm kind of like this lawyer who's, who's going down this line of reasoning and, and they're not apparent where it's going. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, I believe movies used to be an escape from real life. You would go to the movies and you would find a, an hour or two of happiness and joy before you had to go back into the real life and face the problems that you were facing. But it was a breather. It was a time to get away. Life was bad. You worked hard, and a movie was entertainment for a while. Well, I have a theory now, because for some time in my mind I've wondered, if the movies have changed so much, why do people still go to them? And I think I have an answer. And that is that people go to the movies today to get terrified and to get scared silly, so that when they come out, life doesn't look so bad. The, movie, the movies have become something that let us escape back into real life. I had a classmate in seminary that used to put it like this. He went to one of those real fundamentalist churches where the, the ministers shouted at them all the time. And I said, doesn't that bother you that you're always being shouted at? And he said, no, not really, because you always feel so good when it's over. Well, I think that's kind of what the movies were about. The point I'm making in all this is that following the star for the Magi was not an escape from the real world. They did not need to get away from their lives in order to find escape, to find pleasure. They were following that star because they had been looking for it. They were ready for it. 
Who were these magi? It's interesting when we sing the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, that if you read the scripture very closely, number one, you'll find out that nowhere does it mention three. Number two, nowhere does it mention kings. And number three, nowhere does it mention Orient. It does say from the east. Who were these men? And even that's an assumption that they were men. Well, I believe probably the closest parallel in our day would be like the old medicine men. They were kind of a cross between scientists and magicians. They studied, they, they understood some of the way the world worked, and yet they were sadly mistaken about some other things. One of the things we do know about the Magi is that they were not Jewish. And the way we know that is because they came seeking the king of the Jews. And the Jews did not call themselves Jews. The Jews would have called their ruler the king of Israel. So we know that these magi were from outside of the religious faith of Israel. We don't know for sure how long they had been following the star. Scientists in tracing back the the stars and things have found that there was a conjunction of of Jupiter and Saturn in 7 BC. We know also from records that Herod died in 4 BC. Uh, Scientists have also found that Halley's Comet passed over in 12 BC. We don't know how long the Magi were traveling. The best knowledge that we have is that when Herod ascertained from them the time of the star and then went to kill the children trying to destroy this child who was king, he had all the children two years of age and under put to death, all the men, boys. So probably the Magi had been traveling in the neighborhood of two years to find Jesus. We're not talking about a pastime when you're talking about traveling for two years. We're talking serious business here. Northland is getting ready to go on a trip as well, a 10-year trip. And we're talking 10 years of serious business here. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have any fun. That doesn't mean we're not going to laugh together. But it means we're not taking a side road, wander Indiana kind of trip. We're talking about a straight line, major highway, business purpose trip for the next 10 years. Getting serious about God and about His Word. We'll cry together. We'll celebrate together. But it's going to be work. Now, you know, there's a reason why Jesus wasn't born in the town where the Magi lived. And that's because God in His freedom gives us a choice. God gives the sign and He sets it before us. And we can choose to stay where we are or we can choose to follow. There's a purpose in that journey if we choose to follow. God uses that. And that journey always seems to be one that's against common sense. 
Why would you take 10 years out of your life to prepare yourself, to prepare yourself for Jesus in your life? You see, the practical people always condemn those kinds of journeys. And yet the irony of it is that later on, the practical people draw their strength from those who have had the courage to follow. The journey is always blocked by nature's barriers and the Herods of this world. And believe me, there are still Herods around. I think it's kind of ironic that in this passage, it was the men from the east who came searching a king because they had seen his star. And yet Herod had no idea where the king was to be born and had to call together the leading scribes and Pharisees of the people to find out where it was that the king would be born. Here we have a man who was in charge, who should have known, and yet he didn't. And you and I will run into Herods like that, who are in positions of authority and power, but they just don't know what they should know. This is the key, though. I want you to remember this. The journey will lead to life for all who venture. If you have the courage to step out and follow and take that journey, it will lead to life. And you know, the place to make a decision is not at the end. It's at the beginning. It's before you take that first step along the way. There was a man who came to Jesus and he said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family and my friends. And Jesus said, no. He said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. When you make that decision, he was saying, you need to go for it. You need to keep moving on. I heard some very wise words from the president of the seminary that I graduated from. During our freshman orientation, before the first day of classes, he took us aside and he said, now you need to decide something right now. You need to decide today that every Sunday for the four years you're here, you will be in church. Don't wait until Sunday morning when the alarm clock goes off at 7.30 to say, am I going to go today? Because he says, I'm going to tell you. Nine times out of ten, you'll say, I don't feel like it. He says, make the decision today. Every Sunday morning, you're going to be there. And that was wisdom. That was wisdom because that worked. The scriptures tell us that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made up his mind to go before he took the first step. And that carried him through all the difficult times, all the trials, because he had decided that he was going to go no matter what. There is a sense of inner readiness that spurs us to action. Let's talk about the journey itself. Don't we get excited about trips? I mean, there's a sense of anticipation. There's, there's this hope of what's going to happen when we go on this trip. And yet, 
How many trips have you been on that have turned out to be big disappointments? You didn't get to do all those exciting things that you had in mind. There just somehow wasn't time for them or the circumstances didn't work out. And you ended up coming home kind of bummed out, weary, grouchy. You didn't get to do half the things you wanted to do. And you had to come home and go back to work to rest up from your fun vacation. For the wise men, they experienced kind of the same thing. You see, they came into Jerusalem all excited about this star for this one who had been born, the king of the Jews. But the excitement wasn't catching. Herod and his company did not share their excitement. As a matter of fact, not just Herod had trouble with it, but the scripture says in verse 3, he and all Jerusalem were troubled. They didn't like this idea. And the word translated troubled literally means terrified, anxious, agitated. It is the fear that comes from unbelief. That's the kind of fear that cripples. Do you remember when Moses and the children of Israel left Egypt and they were traveling around in the wilderness and Moses picked a leader from each tribe, 12 men, and sent them to spy out the promised land. And they came back and all but two of them said, there's giants in the land. And if we try and go in there, they're going to kill us. And the fear immobilized them. And the journey that could have taken a few months turned into a 40-year grueling journey because of their fear, because of their anxiety. Fear, whether it's our own or other people's fear that we listen to, can cause us to grow weary and can cause our hearts to grow faint on our journey. As I look back at my own spiritual walk with the Lord, I never planned to go to seminary. I was a mathematician. I had a master's degree in computer science, and that was what I planned to do with my life. And a star appeared, and it was a call from God. And I decided to follow that, no matter what the cost. And I went to seminary and we sold our house and, and I made that decision to go. And it was a tough four years at seminary. It wasn't like dying and going to heaven. And I graduated and I served a church and it was a bummer of an experience. And you know, that star that I had followed grew very, very dim. And I said, Maybe it wasn't the star. Maybe that really wasn't God. And I went back to work in engineering. And after about a year and a half, that star started to glimmer again. And I said, well, maybe that is the star that I need to follow. And sure enough, God provided another church. And I was there about a year and a half, and the star grew very dim again. And I ran into trouble and the fears that people have. And times became very difficult. And I left and I started a little church. 
And I pastored it for five years, part-time. And I said, God, I am never going back into full-time ministry again. Don't ever say never to God. But that star was not always bright. And it was a difficult journey. And I have to confess to you that I fell short of what God had for me. I did not follow that star faithfully. And the reason why was fear. I was scared. I didn't know where that star was going to lead. And you too will face fear as you go on that journey to follow God. The words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, even though they were spoken before I was born, are so true. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Because it is fear that immobilizes us. It is fear that cripples us. And we need to open our ears, and I need to open my ears, and continually hear the words of Jesus who says, Fear not. Fear not. For lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Beware of those people who whisper in your ear and cause you to fear. Use that fear to drive you to God. Lon Garber, one of the pastors here, was sharing this the other day, and I thought it was so good. I want to share it with you. He said, you know, every time I get in my car, he says, my brain says, fasten your seatbelt. And he says, I know I ought to do that, but my mind responds, but I'm only going a short distance. And he says, you know, the funny thing is, he says, I know my brain's going to say that. It always does. Whenever my mind says, fasten that seatbelt, it always says, but I'm only going a short distance. And so he said, I have programmed myself to respond to that. And my programmed response is this, fasten it anyway. And so when my mind says, but you're only going a short distance, he says, automatically comes up, but fasten it anyway. And so I fasten my seatbelt, he says. That is so powerful because when that fear comes, you can say, you can use that fear to say, but God's here. Yes, I am scared. Yes, I don't know what's going to happen to me next. Yes, God is here. And use that fear to remind you of the presence of God in your life. One more thing. More than the fear, what will stop you from the journey is the effort that it requires of us. Let me illustrate this to you. A few weeks ago, around Thanksgiving, we decided to replace one of the fan, ceiling fans in our home. And... Uh, I've replaced ceiling fans before, and it's usually not that hard a thing to do. And I took this fan down, and uh, it was one of those that was mounted by this big hook. And so I went out to find another fan, and I discovered that they don't make fans that hang from big hooks anymore. 
So I had to go up there and take the big hook out, and, and I discovered that all the ceiling fans you buy today hang from an electrical box, and there happened to be no electrical box up there. So, I mean, industry is wise. They have come up with a solution to that. They have this fancy little gizmo that you can put up in that hole and you can turn it this way and slide it this way and put an electrical box on it. So I bought one of those and I put it up there and it wouldn't fasten into the wood. And I was just dreading the thought, you know, of having to go up there in the attic and slide over all that insulation and get it all over and itch. And, and But the point came when I realized that there was no way out. I was going to have to go up in the attic and nail an electrical box up there. And so I armed myself with the light because it's pitch black up there. And unfortunately, the spot where the ceiling fan was going was completely behind the furnace from where I needed to go. And the ceiling was about, or the, the, the rise in the roof was about this high where I needed to get to. And so here I come armed with my light. And of course, I don't have one of those nice little lights, you know, that has the hook on it. And you hang. Only thing I've got for light is one of these flood lamps for your Christmas lights that puts out about a thousand degrees of heat when you've got it. And it's got a sharp thing on the other end to stick it in the ground. And so here I am pulling this and I've got a hammer, you know, that I'm trying to carry also. And I've got uh, three nails in my pocket because I'm sure three nails are going to be enough. And, uh, and of course, where I need to get is about 10 feet as the crow flies, but with the furnace sitting right there, it's about 30 feet around this way. And of course, for those of you who have been in attics, I mean, you know the scene. All it takes is one wrong move, and you're in the family room. You know? And so I get up there, and I've gone about three feet, and I lean my hip someplace where I shouldn't, and there's a big hole now in the garage ceiling. This is after three feet, and I'm thinking, this is not starting out well. And so I'm pulling myself, and it is, it is effort. I mean, it is tremendous effort, because despite how physically fit I look, it's not, it's not here, see, and you can't use your feet, and so you're pulling yourself on your stomach, and you're going through all this insulation. And I finally, after about 15 minutes of dragging the light and the hammer, and, and I finally get there, and I put the electrical box down, and of course there's about this much room to swing the hammer, you know, and you just can't get enough force to do it. And so I take the fan electric wire and I move it, and I finally, I drop the first nail down to the kitchen. You know, it's on the floor. And the second nail, I start to hammer in, and it bends, and I can't get the claw to get the nail out. I say, Lord, I only got one nail left. This nail's got to do it because I'm not coming back up here. And so with God's help, I get that nail in and the box looks secure. and Everything looks great. And I'm pulling myself back and I get all the way back. And I'm exhausted. And I climb down those stairs and I bring the light down. And I'm saying, thank you, God. I am done with that. That is the hardest I've ever had to work for anything in my life. I am bone tired. And I go in the kitchen to admire my work, and the wire is not coming out of the box. You dummy! You forgot to put the wire back! Well, hoping against hope, you know, I try to grope the two inches you can grope through the box to find the wire. Can't reach it. 
and the realization hits me, you got to go back. Ah. Oh. Well, I made the trip, and it was every bit as bad as the first trip, only by now I was twice as tired. And I got back, and wouldn't you know, it was the next day when Joel said to me, Dick, I want you to preach about taking the long journey. I said, Joel, I can relate. I said, I just took one. That is the kind of effort that we're talking about in taking a long journey. It's a kind of effort that we need to decide ahead of time that we're going to be willing to make for the Lord. You know what the number one complaint is of today's employers? Employees don't want to work. And it's true. We don't want to work. We want to show up and get paid. But you know what the Bible says about that? It says, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's God's desire for us to give effort and there's several areas that we need to look at for giving effort. There is the effort of intellectual seeking. And what I mean by that is that faith is not checking our brains in at the door on Sunday morning. And faith is not believing five impossible things before breakfast. Faith is hard work intellectually. It means perhaps learning Greek. It means perhaps studying your Bible like you've never studied it before. Soaking up the Word, knowing it inside and out. It's hard work. There's the effort of physical seeking, of putting ourselves at risk. Now those of you who know me know that I am not a happy camper. As a matter of fact, I absolutely hate camping. And yet, to me, camping is the ultimate in putting myself at risk. Because you go out there and you live with bugs, and you live with sand, and you live with smoke being blown in your face, and you sleep on the hard surfaces, and all of this stuff you know, is preparation. It makes you tough. And we need to be prepared you see, when God called Abraham, all he called him to do was follow to a land that I will show you. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how long he was going to have to travel. He just knew that he had to go. Henry Nouwen, in his book, With Open Hands, says that faith really is the willingness to hit the road again and again and again for God. Being willing to give up the convenience for that physical effort that is required to follow God. And finally, there's the effort of spiritual seeking. It means being willing to pray hard. It means being willing to practice spiritual disciplines like fasting. It means putting to death the desires of the flesh so that the voice of the Holy Spirit can be heard when He speaks to us. Ten years we're talking about. Ten years. 
What's going to happen in the next 10 years? Well, for me, four of my five children will probably marry. I'll probably become a grandfather sometime in the next 10 years. I'll pass my 30th anniversary. My hair will probably turn gray if it decides to stay. I will go through troubles. We will experience the best of times and the worst of times. But you know what? All those things will happen anyway. Because you see, age happens automatically. But maturity doesn't. Maturity comes only from a decision to work hard and to follow. And 10 years from now, I ask myself, and I ask you to ask yourselves, will I be able to hold on less tightly to the things that I own, my gold and my frankincense and my myrrh? Will I be able to offer myself more unreservedly to God, being willing to let Him lead me? Will I be willing to work hard to get to the place where God wants me to be and thus be able to see Jesus more clearly? So this is it. Ten years from now will be December 31st, 2000. It will be the very day before the first day of the third millennium. We have the opportunity to prepare ourselves for the long journey. Are you ready? Let the journey begin. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask You to prepare Your bride that she might be without spot and without blemish. We ask You to make us ready for You, Lord. Meet us in our fears. Comfort us in our afflictions. Encourage us in our ministries. And lead us into Your presence. Lord, we seek Your face. Go before us and prepare a place. In Jesus' name, Amen.